Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. My guest today is Denise Logan, who helps business owners who are selling their businesses to experience a successful transition instead of a mere transaction, which could, if it happens at all, be emotionally wrenching. Hello, Denise. Thank you for joining me today on the show. I look forward to talking with you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I think this is going to be fun. I would ask you to tell us a few things about the journey you've been on to arrive where you are today professionally. I grew up in a family business and decided not to join that family business. Instead, I became a mental health professional, and then I became a lawyer. And I always joke, if I was a good mental health professional, I certainly would have saved myself from becoming a lawyer. And I built, yeah. <laughs> right? I built a law practice in Washington, D.C. And about 15 years in, I realized I no longer wanted to practice law, but I had a fairly good-sized business with lots of employees and had to figure out how to extract myself. I did that in a pretty choppy way, partly because I waited far too long to exit my own business. And at the time, I merged it with a Baltimore firm, got rid of my house, and bought a motorhome. And it took off thinking that it would be six months to clear my head and figure out what came next. And that journey turned into several years traveling all over North and Central America in my motorhome. That's probably a conversation for another day. <laughs> but when I came off the road, I joined a firm that was preparing itself for, bit for sale. And over the next 10 years, we took that business three times to the market and the owner was unable to let go. Wow. So I found myself in this situation where I saw, hmm, you could be me and wait too long to exit, where you could be him and go too early and not be prepared to leave. And so 10 years ago, I spun off and started doing the work I do now, which I call the seller whisperer. And what I know from the industry is that less than one third of the businesses that go up for sale actually sell, which is a tragedy. Less than one third. Wow. Less than one third. So if we think about the fact that most business owners intend to fund their retirement from the proceeds of selling their business, or perhaps they plan to transition it to the next generation, if only one third of those companies actually sell, owners are, who don't sell are left with a business that they have started to fall out of love with. Of that one third of business owners who actually 
complete a transaction and successfully sell their businesses, more than half of those, when asked later, regret having sold their business. Wow. It is a horror. And so when I looked at what was happening in the industry, I wanted to sort out why do people have difficulty selling in the first place? Why is it hard for them to let go? And of those who do let go, how can we make this a more smooth process so that they reach completion on a higher percentage and when they have sold, they actually retire happily? Yes. So it's two different things. One, they actually complete it and they don't look back with regret. Yes. And most of the industry professionals, so we think about the bankers and lawyers and brokers and the folks who are involved in the transaction, they're thinking about the process really as a transactional experience. They've got a contract to sign. They've got financing to deal with. They've got all of those elements of the actual sale of the business. The work that I've focused on is the transition because for an owner who has devoted their life to a business and often their identity is also wrapped up, this is a transition. For them, it is not a transaction. When you describe it as a journey, that is so different from, well, it's just a moment in time and it's, it's done. Oh, it is so not a moment in time. And there are so many things we could talk about in that whole process, even if we think about the the very end, the day that the deal closes, there is a huge emotional experience that happens for our owner at the end, but it's also at the very beginning, right? When you think about who will I be if I am not the owner of this business? Yeah. So it's a huge inflection point for people. So one of the questions that I like to ask an owner early on is what does work provide for you? Mm -hmm. And while money is one aspect of what work provides, we should be able to get somewhere between 12 and 15 answers to that question. So if we think about the other things that work provides, especially for those of us now during COVID-19 time that we're at home, work provides a place to go. Yes. A place to get away from your spouse, perhaps. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Plenty of people are looking for that right now. Also, it's friendship for many business owners. Their coworkers or their customers, uh, their suppliers are their friends. It's power. There are lots and lots of things that an owner gets. So when I think about what makes it difficult, What is that internal conflict that's happening for an owner about letting go? I want to work with them on identifying what are all those needs that work is meeting and how will you still get those needs met on the other side of the sale? So, Denise, do they easily even see this as an inner conflict? No. No. Typically what happens is that it's so most owners don't prepare emotionally for the sale. And most of the transactional professionals who are involved in the deal are focused on the economics or maybe even just the practical aspects of the sale. So whenever an internal conflict begins to arise for the seller, 
the other transactional professionals are often referring them back to, but you're going to make a lot of money. And for an owner who is struggling with other issues that they may not even have language around yet, right? all they know is, I can't seem to let go. So I watched something happen that I call oh my syndrome, and it's one more year. Mm-hmm. An owner will get close to an exit and then say, no, I'm just going to wait one more year. And many of the members of the deal team are stunned by that. And right. that's one of the reasons that an owner will do a come here, go away. They'll approach a banker or approach a broker. They might even talk to their CPA or their lawyer about leaving. They might talk about it with a family member and say, yeah, maybe next year. And then it's next year and next year. And And are they able or even trying to articulate why the oh my? Sometimes what happens is even if they do articulate what's happening. So can I tell you a story? Oh, please. All right. So this was a 36-year-old owner of a business in California. It was a software company. And he was set to net $16 million on the other side of the sale. That's a pretty good chunk of change for a young fellow. And at one point, he realized, who am I going to hang out with? All my friends have jobs. <laughs> I'm going to get all this money, but who am I going to do stuff with? So he was out with a friend, and he made that comment, to which his best friend replied, boo-hoo, man, I wish I had your sad little $16 million problem. You'll figure it out. But, you know, Jane, the problem was that this didn't disappear. It just went underground Mm -hmm. and got covered with shame. So this owner then felt ashamed that he had an internal conflict that he couldn't address with anyone. So it started showing up in the deal in all kinds of squirrely ways. I call it the mushroom. So that issue has gone underground. He doesn't have anyone to talk to about it because he's being shamed. Right. And and people naturally do not understand it because they think, well, you're going to get money. That will be enough, won't you? And so he and I went for a walk one afternoon. And I said, hey, Michael, what's happening? And when he told me about the conversation he had with his friend, he said, oh, you know, we can solve for that. So once we did some work around how he would get those needs met, he was able to actually exit, but he was preparing to shut the deal down because he didn't know how he was going to solve that issue. Inertia is powerful. And I would think the idea of this big change is challenging always. And then to add to it, oh no, I'm giving up a lot. Wow. And then friends saying, oh, how dare you feel sorry for yourself? Right. Exactly. And it makes sense. If we can relate it to just a family situation. We prepare our children to launch. We don't just wait until the day they wake up on their 18th birthday and say, so what are you going to do with yourself? We prepare them. We start talking about how things are going to be different, what they're moving toward instead of just what they're leaving. And we see it with our children around when they have to leave high school or when they're leaving a favorite teacher. And we We understand that that is part of letting go. And for an owner, this is their baby. This is their business. 
we see something show up in couples where one or both of them have been involved in the business. I call it relational grief. And we can relate it to what happens during the launching period for our children. So if you and I were a couple and when we first met, we'd be like, oh, it's going to be so great. Our life's going to be wonderful. Yes. And then we have a child or two. <laughs> and we barely touch sight of each other anymore. Yeah. And the time comes when our children, childhood children are launching. And when we see each other, we think, oh my gosh, who are you? I don't know who you are. And I don't even know if I want to know who you are. So we see that naturally happening in couples. If the couple survives that launching period when their children launch, and there is also a business, the business substitutes in between that couple to help them avoid that relational grief. So if you think about it, here we have a business that is now for sale. And as it starts to slide out of the way, the couple catches sight of each other and thinks, oh, and I retire after retire with you. Well, yes. we don't have anything in common. Those are really difficult conflicts, A, to address, and B, to acknowledge in the process. Because so much of their hopes have been pinned on if we just make enough money. Mm-hmm then this will magically disappear. Magic is the word that was coming to my mind too. It is completely magical thinking. And it's also why they can approach the sale and suddenly realize one or both members of the couple will derail the sale process in the hopes that if we give it another year or a little more time, we might not have to face that. So I think an owner who prepares, not only just the owner, but their family as well, cares for what is on the other side of yes. the sale has a greater likelihood of completing and successfully reaping the rewards from the business that they spent their life building. Otherwise, it seems like there's a lot of loss, whether it's easy to acknowledge it or not. Obviously, there's that financial plus, but if you lose everything, your identity and where you go every day and all those good things, and I think we've heard people say things like, wow, that's great. The deal closes on Wednesday. What are you doing on Thursday? Right. And so many times what we'll hear is golf and travel. Mm -hmm. And I always say, that's good for three months, maybe even a year. So when I'm talking to an owner, I want for them to be able to say, what will the day after be? What will the first week, the first month, the first year and get really granular because the more clear they are about what they're moving toward, the easier it is to overcome those things that are natural, those emotions that are naturally going to arise. And since most of the time, the lawyer or the banker or whoever is involved in the deal is not focused on those things, we want to be able to have a place where the owner can process. That seems to me a very important role for you. My guess is that a lot of advisors would feel ill-equipped to try to handle this and also fearful. If we get too deep into the fact someone has reservations, will the whole thing fall apart? Absolutely. And for many of the advisors, they have not done this work for themselves. So 
it's hard to be able to help a client say something if you haven't thought about how you're going to leave your business eventually. Right. Let's talk a bit about the family aspect. We've talked a bit about the spouses, certainly in the family business world that you chose not to go into yourself. There is frequently a challenge around the succession. Who will take over the business? On what terms? Is that even the right thing to do? And how does the seller deal with that in terms of first making a decision to sell and secondly, informing others about whatever decision the owner is going to make? Oh, Jane, I love that question. That's, that's so relevant. And we see it happen both ways. Sometimes when the family assumes that there will be a successor, so they assume that a child will take on the business without even having any conversation with them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we see it the other way. There is a child, who, an adult child, who wants to leave the business and the parent won't step off. So uh-huh. how about if I tell you a story from each direction? Oh, of course. <laughs> so... It was a private equity firm that was interested in buying a family business, and they've been trying for quite a while. The husband was definitely interested in selling. The wife had a lot of reservation. And so they invited me in, and I had a conversation with husband and wife. And the mom said, oh, no, this business is going to our son. I said, oh, okay. Has he expressed an interest? Well, he's a sophomore in college. Oh. (laughs) Exactly. And so the father separately said to me, there is no way that kid is never going to be able to run this business. So we had a family issue that was not being addressed between them as a couple. So I said, how about if I just have a conversation with the son and see where he is? So I separately had that conversation and the son said to me, If I have to get three PhDs to stay in school until they finally sell that business, that's what I'm going to do because I am never joining this business. Very clear. Yeah. And so I said, well, that's one approach. (laughs) You could take that. Or how about if I do a facilitated family conversation where we make it safe for you to communicate that to your folks? And then they can make decisions and you can make decisions. And we don't have to do this all from a place of avoidance. So I did that meeting and it was, a, it was a challenging meeting. I will tell you for sure, because this was an issue that they had stayed away from as a family for a long time. They had avoided having this conversation. Once he was able to articulate his particular view of it, I then did some grief work with the mom. Because for her, this was a letting go of a dream that she had. Now, I'll tell you that part of the reason the son did not want to join this business was because the business felt like the favored child. Oh. And so he had high resentment that they had devoted all of their attention and time to the business, and he felt left out as a child. If you were to hear this from the parent's perspective, they would say something like, we did this for you. Right. Which, of course, was not true. They were doing this for themselves, for the ego gratification, for the financial reward, for the dream that they had, but they had never done that deep 
conversation work to see, is this what you want? Very difficult. Yeah. Now we can look at it from the other side where there's a, a parent who won't see control of the business. So in this particular instance, there's a third generation business, grandfather, father, son. The grandfather was mostly out of the business. The father was primarily running the business and the son had been in for quite a while. So we had grandfathers in his early 80s, father was in his middle 60s, and son was in his middle 30s. So the son had gone to the father and said, you'll turn this business over to me by the end of the year, or I'm going to take all of the customers and start a competing business and drive you under. Oh, dear. That's an inartful way to communicate your desires. Oh, boy. So mom and dad had gone to their wealth manager to see, because they were not ready to retire. And that's when I entered the process. So I entered thinking, really, well, son is kind of a jerk. Like that's not the way to communicate what you need to say. Mm. Of course, I learned once I got to know this family better that there were a lot of things happening. Most of all, the son had been trying to have this conversation for five years. Ooh. And the father had basically been giving him the hand, you know, talk to the hand. We're not having this conversation. And so what I also learned later as I dug in a little deeper was that the mom, so the second generation's wife, right, son, was in late stage four breast cancer. Oh, dear. You'll hear me say this over time. It is never about what it looks like it's about. Mm-hmm. A great deal of what was going on in that conflict were these two men having intense loss and things that were way outside of their control. And so they were playing out that dynamic of we're about to lose the woman who's important to us both. Let's fight about something else. And what I also learned deeper into that conversation was that the father had done the same move to his father 25 years earlier. So if you think about it, we had a son who was probably 12 or 13 watching his father do this to his grandfather. Of course, that dynamic was going to play out in a business. And so in one of your recent episodes, I know you talked about learning from the experience you have with others in conflict. Yes. How do you not touch those same areas? How are you sensitive around what's going to cause a flare? True. Absolutely true. Denise, tell us how people get you involved. I'll tell you, there's when I should get involved and when I do get involved. Okay. Typically, I get involved when the deal has unraveled and things are a rat's nest and Mm -hmm. someone's trying to figure out if we can save it at the last minute. That's not actually the best time, but sometimes we can actually save. The better time is early on when someone is thinking about selling their business because then it's actually a really simple, easy introduction. We know that the sale of a business is a tumultuous process. And everyone else is going to be focused on the transaction. Let's make sure there's someone here who's focused on the transition with you. That's a very simple, easy entry point at the beginning. That's a wonderful summary of, I won't say summary. I think it's a wonderful introduction. This this has given us a taste of what you do. And I will ask you to tell listeners where they could learn more about what you do. So I wrote a book about this topic called The Seller's Journey. And it's written as a business fable. 
So it's the story of an owner one year after he sells his business. He goes on a trek across Glacier National Park with his banker, his lawyer, his wealth manager, and the buyer who purchased his firm. And I actually did a trip that was like this with a client. I wrote the book as a metaphor so that not only the seller, but also the other professionals involved in the transaction can spot the emotional issues that naturally go on. It normalizes what happens. And because it's told in a little bit of a travel story, it's a fun read. So that book is called The Seller's Journey. And you can purchase it on my website, which is deniselogan.com. And I imagine that's also a way to learn more about the work that you do. Absolutely. I can say that I enjoyed the book and particularly the different perspectives of the different individuals involved. I thought that was particularly helpful as you've just spoken about the idea of they see things differently. And also, I'm always so pleased to see efforts to normalize what is challenging. It is still surprising to me how often folks can beat up on themselves when they are finding something to be difficult and think, I must be the only one. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why so few sellers actually make it all the way through. This is the, selling your business is the most vexing chapter in the life of a business owner. And they typically only do it once. They don't have any other reference point. And we need to find more ways to help more people make it all the way across and land safely on the other side really excited about beginning the next chapter of their life instead of feeling terrorized and remorseful. Very hopeful. I appreciate that. Thank you, Denise. It has been fun speaking with you today. So much my pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please share it. Leave a rating or review. Subscribe through one of the major apps. For anyone new to podcasts, here's something you may not know. Subscribing is free. You can also find the show at craftingsolutionstoconflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane Bettle.